Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is John Mulroy, ETF expert with Valkyrie Investments. We talk about ETFs, their history, their evolution, and of course, the new Bitcoin ETF. John also explains the difference between spot and futures-based ETFs, why we can expect a lot more interest, and the path to a spot Bitcoin ETF. John Mulroy, how's everything going? I tell you, Jimmy, it's been it's been quite the ride getting this product ready to launch. A lot of hard work, a lot of team work, like I haven't seen in many many years. And every aspect of the ETF community has been involved, from the clearinghouses to the exchanges to the Valkyrie people themselves. I mean, just it's been a gigantic effort from a small firm with a Viking name. Basically, we've planting the flag, hopefully, when we launch. <laughs> all right. So before we get into all of that, because obviously that's all very exciting, can you tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, like how you got into this space and, you know, how you ended up where you are now? The old Wall Street joke is I got off the wrong train. <laughs> 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 and I actually wound up, I, I started on the Amex as a runner and I had, I had a college degree, but I completely changed my direction in life. So I said, all right, let me get down there. So I started as a runner and I just worked my way up and I was trading in a couple of years after that. Fortunately, I was part of, I was in the options business and mm. a lot of younger guys in that business at the time. Mm. And the futures had just launched, the S&P futures had launched. So people were first time seeing futures as in the financial sense and not necessarily the agricultural sense. Mm. And the index options came out a lot. Of, and so I kind of went in that direction. Mm. And that was kind of where, where I launched myself off. ETFs were still much in the distance at this time. Mm. But after the crash of 87, the SEC issued a note, a letter to all the exchanges to come <laughs> up with a product that would offset this quote, quote unquote portfolio trading that they blamed for the crash. Mm. So all the uh, exchanges took up the mantle, but the Amex took it up the most. Mm. And that's when we see the, the launch in 1993 of the Spiders, the first ETF. Mm. Well, and, explain that a little bit. So why did they blame sort of the portfolio trading for the because, crash? Line? Because of the, the nature of the futures, they could sell mm. futures and buy baskets and mm. conversely sell the baskets, which are, which are all the stocks, and buy mm -hmm. the futures, right? Mm -hmm. And it just kind of fed on itself, mm. as well as the market wanted to go down. It was mm -hmm. like one of those things where you can't just argue with it. It's, it was kind of it was thought in a slip slider way to begin with, and that that just kind of they had to blame somebody, right? Let's face mm. facts. So, but they did add to it, and mm. they wanted to you know come back with a product that could offset that. Mm. Is there a product we can create that will offset some of that? portfolio trading, so to speak. Mm. And that was kind of their mission in life to do that. Mm. So what you're saying then is that the actual futures market allowed for this cash and carry trade where you can, if there was, you know, like the futures price was higher, then 
they would buy buy the That's stock right. and then sell the future or the reverse. Which is fine. Were. It's the other way around. I heard it because they sold mm-hmm. the baskets. So they were selling mm-hmm. all the stocks, right? Mm-hmm. And buying okay. the futures. And that's where that's where they got hurt. Hmm. So that was the other way around. And, yeah. and basically, traders were doing this because I guess the futures were lower than the current price, something like that? Yeah, it was complete chaos, Jimmy. It was hmm. complete chaos. <laughs> everything was out of whack. Everything was out of line. So anytime there was an arbitrage, that would just kick into place. It was There was so many different cross currents and things going on that particular day. And it was, like I said, the first time the futures really took center stage mm. for a lot of people. Mm. You got to remember, most of these people came from an equity background. And mm. now you have an option future market that's just kind of running around, but they weren't, they didn't know how to handle it. It was just a lot of stuff going on in a very short period of time. Mm. So that's why the SEC came out, issued this, this kind of letter to everybody. That was the genesis of getting the ETFs up and running. Okay, so can you explain that part a little bit? How something like an ETF, I guess, prevent the selling and selling of the current and buying the future, like that arbitrage trade, how does that prevent that or mitigate it in some way? The real key to the ETFs that the ET means something, exchange mm-hmm. traded, and the, the ability to create and redeem mm. is is in the only product that I'm aware of in the world, you can do that. Mm. So if you want to get out of a product, whether a future product or any stock product, you have to sell it, correct? Or mm-hmm. you're short, you have to buy it back. Mm. In ETFs, you can create. So if mm. you're short and you've been selling this, this particular instrument for X amount of time, you can turn around and do a creation unit mm. and get it all back. Hmm. That com- completely changes uh, the, the mindset. Conversely, if you're getting so- everyone selling everything to you, and you're on the market making side, hmm. you now have the ability to redeem these, mm-hmm. and that that in and of itself changes the game dramatically. Hmm. Okay, well, so that was sort of like the impetus uh, was the, I guess, the 87 crash that where options and futures and other derivatives, I guess, kind of took center stage. So you're part of Amex and you're seeing this thing take off. What was it like when the first ETF, I, I believe it was Spiders with Amex, right? Like, yeah, it's what, was like? Spiders, yeah. what was that like? It was quiet, actually, Jimmy. It took a little while, you know, Mm. for everybody to kind of realize what they were, Mm. how to use them. Mm. At that time, Jimmy, there was a thing called you had to have an uptick to short something, right? Mm. So you had any stock you wanted to short, you needed an uptick to short it. Mm. Spiders was the first instrument you didn't need an uptick. You could short it. Mm. And I had explained that to brokers about 9,000 times. (laughs) Are you sure you can? Yes, you can short it. Because mm. I mean, for, you know, for your whole life, you're just doing the uptick. That kind of opened up once again some fluidity to the to the market and liquidity that you normally wouldn't get. Mm. It took about two years, Jimmy, about ninety five, ninety six, that has started to really kind of take off. People started to figure out how to use them. A lot of guys would come in and just do uh, big funds would come in and buy like a million shares on the morning. 
do what they had to do throughout the day and come back at the end of the day and close them out. Almost like a, it was just parking them there. And then more and more people on the started to understand that these are pretty liquid. They traded what's called UTP. So they traded everywhere. They traded mm. in Chicago. They traded all the regionals as well. The primary market, obviously, was the annex. So it was mm. trading it all across the country. Mm. It just kind of bit by bit, people started to write about them. People started to understand them a little bit better. A lot of the closed-end community were the first writers of these because they were the closest to a closed-end fund as mm. you can imagine at the time mm. they weren't not anything they were different different animal totally but those are obviously the only people writing about them and then it just kind of just slowly the big houses figured it out how to use them and merrill lynch had figured out how to use them and sort of seen a lot of research reports come out mm. and then it just kind of took off and more and more products came out now initially we just saw the index products we saw mm. spy we saw the diamonds which is the dow jones product we saw MDY, the mid-cap product. So we saw it was very, very index-centric initially. Mm. Mm. And we saw the, the advent of iShares come out in 2000. And they started to come out with some different type products, Jimmy. They started to come out with emerging market products. They started coming mm. out with China products, FCI. And they were kind of a little bit ahead of themselves. But when the market caught up to them, they were the only game in town waiting for them. So India... We saw a lot of the emerging markets and as well as we saw some frontier markets. It was very interesting. There was some interesting thing going on. So it expanded Mm. out from just the index aspect to other areas within the market. Soon Mm. we saw then and when she ventured into the fixed income market, all that, that was another big watershed mark when when it went into fixed income ETFs. I think you can go back to last year when the Fed started to buy all those Fixed income ETFs as part of their mm. kind of shoring up the balance sheet. That kind of mm. really affirmed once and for all that this is the real deal. Mm. When they when they went in and did that, mm. so that's kind of the broad, broad. And now we have you know we have now we have thematic ETFs and we have you know VIX ETFs, mm. and now we're into the Bitcoin futures <laughs> ETFs, mm. which was only a nat- it was just a natural process. If the wrapper can hold, the wrapper is agnostic and it can hold just about anything in it. Mm. So this is pretty exciting to all of us here. Mm. Well, so let's go back to sort of the first ETF, the Spiders ETF. Was that a spot or futures-based ETF at the very beginning? It was a ba- it was basket. It was mm-hmm. based on a basket of mm-hmm. st- 500 stocks. So it was spot, like there right. it wasn't a future-based. They used, everyone used the S&P 500 futures to hedge it. Mm. So they would buy the ETF and then sell the no, future yeah. or the other way around, I guess? Oh, yeah. Or some variation on a theme, some basket, you know, some piece of basket would involve with it. But it, the pure play was buy spiders, sell futures. Mm. Okay. I remember like sort of ETFs coming into my consciousness like sometime around college when people started talking about it as sort of like an alternative to mutual funds. So was retail in from the very beginning or was that something that came in later? It was a mix, Jimmy. There was really a mix. There was a lot of re- there was some retail early on. But there was also you know, there were a lot of institutional, like more like professional traders. Let's put it that way, as opposed to insurance companies. You know, real professional traders, hedge funds, and people of that nature. But there was a fair amount of retail in the beginning. That's why all the questions and kind of 
liquidity and the quote. You can trade mm-hmm. them. There was a lot of things of that nature. The mutual funds were, you know, were the kings for many years since the mm-hmm. really the Lynch era in the 80s and what have you. So it was a, there was a little different animal. And the tax advantage was the thing that started being the retail side to grab onto. What, what was the mean? tax advantage? The in-kind uh-huh. trading, right? There's no trading. It's in-kind. The lack of fees, the 12B1 fees, and these fees that the mutual funds had built into them that mm. the ET- ETFs did not have. Mm. So right away, that was kind of appealing to people. Like, what's um, what's the cash? And and, and you also, there's a whole ecosystem. You have to have, you may have to have, make sure you have lead market makers or specialists, as they call them in the New York, mm-hmm. who are making good markets. You can have a greatest product in the world, Jimmy, but if you're not making mm-hmm. good markets, it does not matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when all is said and done, you re- it's really, everything feeds in, everything kind of is locked in together. So mm-hmm. by having good, good lead market makers, having good solid futures where people can hedge out, it was very, very important. So everything was key. Now, the, the retail were not doing futures, okay? They were just coming in, buying buying spiders and putting them in their accounts and just hanging on to whole. They were buying whole type products. Mm. So it wasn't, right. it wasn't, they weren't getting into the, all the arbitrage. And I, I used to beg them, don't, don't, don't. I'll tell you after the close how it works, mm-hmm. but don't right now just kind of, <laughs> you're going to buy them, just buy them. Mm-hmm. Right. So we had to walk them through it. You know, they, it was a little complicated for, for some folks, but you know, we they were all they were still traded in in eights and sixteens and thirty seconds at that time, Jimmy. It wasn't digital, mm. so it could be a little hair raising. But mm. we got them through it. Mm. Well, so can you explain some of the the mechanics behind an ETF? So when you have a spot traded, you know, ETF like spiders or something like that. Like how does like uh, how does more of that ETF get created and how does it get redeemed? Can you explain? That? Right, there's a group of people called APs, authorized mm-hmm. participants, is their official title, and the majority of the bigger banks and some of the bigger firms are APs. Okay, mm-hmm. and some of them are APs and market makers. I don't want to get too complicated, but APs mm-hmm. are the people that actually create and redeem ETFs, and they're the only ones who can mm. create and redeem APs. So you, let's say me and you want to buy an ETF, we're, we're partners, and we go and we say, we want to buy this particular ETF. We would give the money to the AP. We would tell the AP, listen, this is what we want. We want, we want buy 100,000 shares of this particular product, and they, they trade in creation units. So let's say these creation units are 50,000, okay? Mm. So we want to buy two creation units. Mm-hmm. We tell the autos, we transfer the money to him. He goes in and buys them from the lead market maker mm. or whatever's on the uh, what's on the public book. So they're going to buy these 200,000. They're going to buy these 100,000 shares. They turn around and give me and you the certificate. Now we have the mm. ETF certificate. They mm. have the shares, okay? Mm. So we can go out and just trade on the secondary market. Mm. Creation Redemption, Jimmy, is on the primary. The trading's on the secondary, mm-hmm. okay? So now we have our, we, we go our merry way. We can trade these. We can hang on to them. We can, you know, do whatever we want with them. Comes a day where kind of we, we want to get out of them. We say, well, all right, we want to get out of these now. So what we do, we call back that AP. Let's say it's, uh, let's say it's Bamel or Merrill Lynch, whoever we want to call them. Hey, we want to redeem our shares. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. We give you back 
the certificates and the fund gives us back the shares. So now we have all our shares back. Mm-hmm. We've got to have all our money in this case because it's cash. Mm-hmm. So it's that process that's how they're created and redeemed. And it goes on all day long. Mm-hmm. For some size. All within the units, though, Jimmy. You have mm-hmm. to trade it. You just can't, like, randomly trade them. You have mm-hmm. to go. Some units are huge and some are small. They've gotten smaller throughout the years now. We see some units of 10,000 share units and 5,000 mm-hmm. share units. But it was traditionally 50,000 shares. Which is how much money, roughly? Well, 50,000 times whatever you're looking at, 25, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. So significant amounts of money. One point, like, yeah, $1.5 million twice. So it's usually, okay. anytime we launch wow. something, it's usually about um, two and So the, this creation redemption mechanism exists for every ETF? Every ETF right? has it. Every ETF has it. It's required. Mm. It's part of the DNA. Mm-hmm. And the initial ones were index funds like spiders, like you mentioned. And then you said it diversified into all sorts of different things, including like I mean, the initial ones were relatively simple. Diamonds, Mm -hmm. spiders, and cues came out. But then it diversified into emerging markets. And, you know, that was a big one back in early in the days. That was a real EEM, they call them. They were a Mm -hmm. very, very big market. FXI Mm -hmm. was the big China market. Mm. You know, there was Russian markets, there were Turkish markets, there were markets, all global markets all over the place, LATAM markets. So, so there were lots of different products that came out afterwards. People started to figure out how to use the wrapper a little more more mm. sophisticated. Mm. And that's that's what came about. And then but we had... The, uh, the, the spiders and the cues are still... Like, spiders are still the biggest ETF in the world. The Qs are also in the top like top five or so. So the index funds are still the biggest funds by far. Mm. Like they have a Vanguard has their own version of a spider and so does iShares. They have, a, they have their own version. So they're still the biggest funds. And then iShares came out with one called IWM, which is the Russell 2000. So these mm. big index funds are still significant in, in size. But the other stuff that's come out since then are much more creative. The bond futures, are, I, I must bond ETFs are pretty large as well. Mm. Well, so at some point, I think the first sort of like commodity ETF came out. I think that was gold. Is that right? Yeah, there were some other ones before that, like so, sort of like more oriented. But the real one, yeah, you're right. GLD mm. is the gold ETF. That's also rarely, that's a very, very big one. And it became, you know, you commoditized gold because when I was coming up, you had to buy like, you know, South African cougarans and you had to buy like, you know, it was like very hard to get gold, right? Mm. Now to have the ability to just go in and buy just one ticket and you got as much gold as you want. Mm. And when was that? Amazing concept. I mean, when when it first came out, it was unbelievable amount of trading in that thing. Uh, around when was that? Like roughly? God, that was around two. If I'm not mistaken, 2005, 2006. Mm. We, we were still floor trading at the time. Mm. I remember them trading in. Well, so, well, so what happened to gold right after the ETF is that it had a pretty large spike in price, if I remember. Like, was it because of the accessibility? I think both. You know, you know how the gold the gold bugs are. They are mm-hmm. they just when they get re- get behind something, they get they get going. 
Mm. And I think it was both of those. It was kind of like mm. goal was in the goal was kind of an up, uptick. And then the ex, you know, the ability to just go in and, and do these easily, easily access that it just exploded. Mm. People, you know, the, the price targets got pretty, pretty outrageous, but mm. it's still a very, very, very heavily traded instrument. Mm. Well, so the gold ETF, does it have the same sort of like creation redemption mechanism or was it kind of different? Oh, it has to. It mm. has to. The same creation redemption? Like, yes. so you get a certificate? Like, because with a, with a spiders or something like that, like the AP knows what they have to go buy, right? Like, I guess they, do they have access to something else where you can get like spot gold or something like that? You actually, the gold is held in JP Morgan's vaults in London. Mm-hmm. So you're buying certificates. Mm. For that golden yeah. JP Morgan's vault. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so that's how they do it. And like, does anyone actually audit that gold? I'm, I, I've always been curious because there's been rumors of, you know, like, it's all paper gold or it's not actual. Gold. You know, I've actually never, I never really heard anything about that, Jimmy. I'm sure people are like, yeah, is this, <laughs> is this gold bars like in the Fed? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. JP Morgan, like I said, it, the old, always JP Morgan's vaults in London. That was kind mm-hmm. of the old. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so let's talk a little bit about like the future based ETFs. When did that start and why was that necessary? Like, why not have all spot based? Well, I think a lot of the future ones, and I think the one that's most evident was was USO, right? Mm. The gold, the oil Mm. ETF Mm. that we saw went to a discount a couple Mm. of years ago. Mm. So a few of those started to come out. We saw oil and there was like, there was a silver one, but I'm seeing the oil Mm. one was the one that really took off. And that became Mm. the kind of the, the... de facto place to go if you wanted to invest in oil in the ETF space. Once again, it gave you access to to a market that's usually very difficult to get into or mm. very expensive to get into mm. on a commodities exchange. And they were able to do, you can use USO to get that done. Mm. And why did it have to be futures-based and not like spot or something? How'd you cash oil? Oh, I guess you'd have to sell it or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was more because the instrument was easier to move around. Well, yeah, I mean, oil, oil trades and futures, like the futures over on the on the well, now it's the CME, but that's how they traded. Hmm. So they just did. They just basically laid that laid the structure on top of it, and you have the contango, and you have the backwardation, you have all the same sort of like positives and negatives. Hmm. But it was it was an easier way to get into the oil market than going over to the commodities exchange. Okay. And what other, you said silver, oil, are there other sort of like futures ETFs that exist on the market that we might be familiar with? There's a lot of smaller ones. Uh, Deutsche Bank had come out with a lot. They did it when Invesco. They didn't really kind of take off completely. I mean, the bigger ones, obviously, you know, you have the, they have the oil. There's a silver, like GLD, there's a silver ETF. There's, Wait, copper, that's not... there's copper ETFs. There's, there's, there's a whole firm, there's a whole suite of these certain firms put out. But I mean, so they don't do what like the JP Morgan does with the gold certificates. It has to be futures based. I and like, I'm trying to understand what that part is like. 
Yeah, most of them are futures based. Hmm. And it's because nobody likes holding them, or it's like too much inventory, or what? Like they're used industrially, or why futures versus why well, is copper, gold? Copper, the spot? copper has become the big one these days, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's. I mean, good question. I never really. I mean, I was not very involved with the future with the commodity stuff. I was mostly mm-hmm. on on the f- equity and fixed income side. Mm-hmm. And the commodities were some ways around us. We understood them, but we. I, I never had to trade them. Hmm. I see. Okay. Well, so getting to then the Bitcoin ETF, the question that I think a lot of people have is why is it futures based and spot? <laughs> like, and well, I think you've described the the difference, but why does it like? What's the rationale there? Well, it's really the it's the decision of the commission, the SEC. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. they are basically sent out the message to the street that they want a 40-act ETF. That's their first, that's what they want to look at first, okay? Mm-hmm. So being having the futures regulated and being on the CME, like one of the biggest cha- exchanges in the on the planet, mm-hmm. uh, they gave them a little bit of comfort. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember, Jimmy, back in, uh, it was 2017, they first started listing these on the SIBO uh, was the first place they listed futures, Bitcoin futures. And the CME was like a, like a week later. Mm. And the SIBO did not hang on during the winter. It's, CME just kept going and they've grown quite a nice business over there these days. Mm. So it's not, that's, it's the commission's decision. We don't have a decision here. Okay. This mm. is what they wanted. So mm. we said, okay, let's make the best version of this we can. So it was due to the fact that futures already were trading and they thought that that would be like they were more comfortable with it, basically. Yeah, because they're on like a, a, a regulated exchange. They're on a, they've been trading now for, like I said, since 17. They, there's been no real blow ups at all that we're or anyone is aware of. They're a very they're a professional organization. They're like as good as they come. Think about what they've done, CME. They mm. bought the Board of Trade. They bought mm. all the New York exchanges. They have the oil markets. They have they have the gold market. They have everything. Mm. Okay, so this you're talking about a very serious group of people. Mm. So having that, Gensler and the and the committee are much more comfortable than going out to spot Bitcoin. Now you know how many people have registered for the spot Bitcoin, right? Mm. There got to be Jimmy. I got to be twenty people. I mean, twenty <laughs> major firms like. Mm. The, the firms, like the biggest firms in the business, have all registered. Mm. So it's not like there's not interest in it. It's just when the commission says, okay, okay. Mm. Well, so what is sort of like the upside or downside of the futures one? Because, I mean, we've seen it in oil where, you know, the we had something absolutely crazy happen. Like, I think it was about eight, like a year ago. Where- it went to a discount, yeah. Yeah, it went to, it went to negative. <laughs> like, what the heck? It was insane. Yeah, people, no one, no one ever saw that before. Um, it was like, it was completely crazy. The upside is these are very liquid markets. The players we have in here, these are the big Bitcoin traders to begin with. The firms who are going to be making markets or make markets in, in spot, right? So these people are very familiar with what's going on and how these trade. The downside is the role, and that's the thing that a lot of people, you'll hear a lot of negativity from the press about that. 
since they are monthly month by month products, Jimmy, you have to roll every month. Okay. Mm. And that's that's where the contango sets in, where the next month out is higher than the one you're selling, right? Mm. So you have to manage that role. I mean, the other way around, backwardation is the complete opposite, but it's mostly in contango. Mm. And that's where the skill comes in of how to manage that role. Mm. Now, so, I'm a retail guy. Think about this, though. I'm retail, Jimmy, and I mm-hmm. wanted to say it's, it's going to be $25, which is, you know, okay, that's a nice piece. I could buy some of those, right? But mm. the problem is you have to roll them. Mm. So as a retail guy, you have basically a month to sell them because most of them are not going to be able to roll them. It's very complicated. Mm. You'll hear a lot of that from the press about the roll. Mm. But the so product that, itself is going to be pretty. It's going to be very liquid. Mm. But the role is the hard part in managing a future. There's no way around ETF. it. Same, yeah. same. Any any futures ETF will have that role. Mm. Well, is it particularly bad with Bitcoin because of the volatility and at least in the CME markets, the cash and carry trade was paying a significant like annual well, APR. What about what about the VIX market? Is that mm-hmm. calm? <laughs> how crazy is that right yeah true, but true it's the skill it's the skill of the traders that will kind of dictate this too mm. well so how do you sort of manage that like role and how much does that sort of take away from i guess the you know following the spot price like generally you expect them to correlate roughly but you know, you, you have this role, which ends up being something of a tax. Like, how does that affect the end consumer? Well, you, you try to ma- minimize that, but we haven't seen a trade yet. So we don't know mm. what what it's going to look like. Right. Mm. Mm. It, believe me, it's one it's topic is topic like one A, one B. And everyone's trying to figure out how to manage this correctly. Mm. But it's more or less forced by the SEC because they're more comfortable with the futures market than the spot. Well, I, I don't know. If, it's not like some, not that trying to go out of the way to get me difficult. It's just mm-hmm. this is this is the way the forty act trades. Mm. If it were, yeah, if it was spot, it'd be, did none of this would happen, right? There'd be mm. no role whatsoever. Mm. And like the other ETFs that exist, like from Canada and so on, are they spot or futures based ETFs? Good question. You know, I, I've never done em- enough uh, research on those, to be honest with you. Mm. I'm trying to think about it. Yeah, I think the spot now, Jimmy, I think about it. There's about three or four right now in the Bitcoin and there's some uh, in other products, but that's about the three Bitcoin ones, three or four Bitcoin ones. I haven't heard. Yeah, there's no futures, right? Now that I think about yeah. it. Okay. So they're, they're all a spot. spot, right? Okay. <laughs> all right. So, I mean... I guess that would be sort of like the next step after a futures-based ETF to become a spot ETF or something to that effect. You look look at the globe, Jimmy. It's Canada, Mm -hmm. right? We have them in Switzerland. We have Mm -hmm. them in Frankfurt now, I believe, as well. They have them in Brazil. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're all over Europe. They're in the Nordic countries as well. So it's not like it's it's a rarity. It's been out there. Mm -hmm. But until our commission feels comfortable this is what this is the product we'll deal with okay so uh, now that we're about to have a futures based bitcoin etf what does that actually mean for the ecosystem what do you anticipate will change like how will it change things 
Well, the regulation gives it a certain layer of safety to some people. Some people mm. and some firms are very afraid of Bitcoin. We still get a lot of questions like mm. from a lot of your advisors who are getting questions from their customers about how it works and so forth and so on. So by having the ability to to trade it on an exchange, a serious exchange like the CME, it gives them a level of comfort that they didn't have before. People mm-hmm. are still scared of keys and skill, you know, the, all the other issues that they hear about. And so I think this is kind of gives them, okay, this is something they're more familiar with. Think, think from the traditional world, what they're used to, what they're comfortable with. And some of them are not comfortable futures. I'll be perfect example. There's some firms that just won't do futures. But a lot more futures have become a lot more uh, prevalent in the last few years. You see a lot more than that I did when I started. When I came up, it was very limited. They're, now more people are doing them. So that's the real issue. Now they, they are they are a regulated product. It's a level of comfort to them from their traditional viewpoint to this to the Bitcoin viewpoint. So I guess what you're saying is that like there will be more investors that will have more comfort. Does that mean that they'll necessarily put in some money towards the CTF or no? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that's the general consensus. Now being mm-hmm. more comfortable, they can do they can come in and, and have, have a regulated exchange. Mm-hmm. Pretty, I mean, pretty it's, it's pretty black and white. It's not. Well, that, so that, it's not that nuanced. Let's put it that way. It's pretty much this. All right, now regulation. Now we do this. And then, you know, then let's see how this goes, Jimmy. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. we'll see if this if this goes well. The exchange, you know, the commission will be will be watching very closely. You know that the whole we're gonna have a lot of eyes on us, Jimmy. Let's put it that way. There's gonna be a lot of eyes on us from the investing community to the commission to just everybody. Mm-hmm. How does this work? Okay. What does going well look like or mean versus going badly? What would the going, contrast I mean, be? It, the spreads are, are tight. The size is there. The role is manageable. People can get in and out, you know, easily. There's no blips. You know, everything just kind of goes as smooth. You know, everyone handled, how do they handle the Bitcoin volatility? I mean, a lot. there's a lot of things that, that, that go into, into that. It's more like you want the customer to have a good experience. Mm. Are they having a good experience? Can they get into this very easily, do their fidelity count, whoever they're going to be using? Mm. Is this easy for them to do? Is it easy to get out? That's the question I always get. How do I get out? I said, well, how'd you get in? You bought it out of quote. And that's one of the things you have a quote here, right? Mm. You have a bid ask, a real bid ask. So, okay. So that lack makes of issues, sense. Jimmy, I think is a good way of putting it. How it would be successful? Just kind of runs smoothly like a machine, and just kind of everybody, all the role, all the different players are playing their role out from the FCM to the market makers to the you know the TPMs to the customers to the clearing firms. Everybody kind of in sync. Hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Well, so. This ETF should follow the CME futures market, right? Like that's what it's designed that's to do? theoretically what it's supposed to follow, right. Okay. In that case, would this ETF make it easier perhaps to do that cash and carry trade that's been getting significant APR? 
what, selling the spot and buying this or vice versa? Yeah. Well, when it's in Contango, I believe it's been in Contango for a while, but I don't know. Will this ETF make it easier? Yeah, for retail investors to do that cash and carry trade. I don't know what a lot of retail investors are going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. When we think of retail, we think of smaller investors, correct? Right. Because RIAs are retail as well, and they're big investors. It's kind of, I think if you look, I think you're you're going for smaller investors. Mm-hmm. And once again, it's up to their clearing how they work with their clearinghouse, mm. and how the clearinghouse works with 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 all the people involved. Mm. Okay, so a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of hand holding here, Jimmy. <laughs> initially, I mean, which only makes sense, right? Until everybody gets familiar. Well, so going back to sort of like what happened with gold when that became an ETF, uh, do you anticipate sort of like a similar surge in Bitcoin? Like, does, should be there's been there's been talk of that. Like, once it lists and uh, you know the the Asian markets f- f- get into it, when the options go off at the end of this week, we can see a pop then as well. I mean, we'll see. Mm. The general consensus is going to pop. Mm. To what level, no one knows, but it's going to pop a bit. Mm. Just because... There's big interest now, and people are going to be doing a lot more trading. And there's still, like I said, this, this spot market versus this market will be become a big, big issue. Okay. So there have been people waiting on the sidelines, waiting for the CTF so that they can go get in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, are there people on the other side that maybe want to short the ETF that have been waiting to get into, or is that not that significant? Well, no, soon enough. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, soon enough. I mean, but market, market makers is, is two-sided business. You're making a bid and an offer. I mean, mm. Someone has to sell it to them. Mm. That's true. Well, so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if there are people like Michael Burry who, you know, shorted Bitcoin, I think, and has gotten pretty wrecked from what it seems like. You know, I suppose it's a lot easier to get wrecked that way with any uh, futures ETF like this. Jimmy, is any arbitrage, believe me, it will be found out very quickly. Mm. And people will continue to do that until it goes away again. Mm. That's the whole nature of this business. Mm. All right. So we have a futures ETF with Bitcoin. And it's it's probably going to start, you know, changing the markets and stuff. Does it open up uh, sort of like a much easier way to hold Bitcoin for corporate treasuries or any or anything like that? Like, can it be used in some way that, you know, is other than like what a traditional ETF is? Like, just you know, people like retail people kind of holding it or other traders sort of like doing some sort of arbitrage. Like, are there other uses? Like, once again, you have the role issue, right? Mm-hmm. So what I would love to see is the second and third market, third month, start to have liquidity, okay? That would add a lot a lot of flexibility to what you just said about mm-hmm. the different groups coming in. They can go out two months or three months out. Right now, most, like, the majority of this is spot, like a front month. Spot is the term we used to use from my, my world. As front month. So a lot of it's front month. But once again, it goes back to the legitimacy in their world. 
okay, this is regulated. We can use this now. This is something that we can use that we couldn't. We were always a little either skeptical or we were, we were kind of like we were forbidden to use something that wasn't regulated. So it's kind of more of a, in that, in that vein, mm-hmm. it's something that's in their world, from the traditional world, this is something they can use now. Mm. Well, it'll be definitely interesting to see exactly how this plays out. So any sort of like predictions on how this market will evolve over the next few years? Will this be the gateway to the spot is really is what everybody is thinking about. Hmm. But at the same time, you have to respect the commission's wishes. So what we'll do, we'll do extremely, completely, 100% dedicated to this particular product. Mm. And when the spot does come open, we've already filed for that as well. So that'll be, we don't know when that is. Mm. It's been, it's, but this is a good test case, Jimmy. So we're really kind of, we're just kind of focusing 1000% on this. Mm. If we do a good job on this, then I think we have something to say when it comes to spot time. Okay. So it definitely sounds like this is the path forward for a lot of a lot of investors and we'll be watching closely to see if anything crazy happens in there. And oh, if yeah. it does get yeah, traded. Oh, yeah, Every, everyone's going to be like a big microscope thing. <laughs> the weird thing is we're in the middle of a bull market at the moment. So I mean, like it could be sort of like you know, accumulation of a bunch of things at once. So if it really it does become like the product to get, I mean, we might see some seriously crazy things happen over the next few months uh, as, you know, like Bitcoin goes crazy. Well, I go back, I go back to, I go back to 98, 99 specifically mm. when the Nasdaq, Nasdaq started floating the idea of putting out a Q product, right? The triple mm-hmm. Qs. And at that time, it was the dot-com, like, it was, mm-hmm. it was insane, right? Remember? Mm-hmm. And the, the, the queues came in at the, you know, in the bull market of the dot-com. And the queues kind of came into that. Mm-hmm. So they were part of this, they were part of that whole up, uptrade. And the anticipation of the queues, they did it very cleverly, just sort of letting it, letting it out that we're going to be coming, we're going to be coming. Mm-hmm. We're in a bull market now here. So we'll mm-hmm. see how this plays out well how did the cues do like the like i know that Bloated. that's like a very popular etf they exploded out of the box they went up they went out they doubled like in three months wow yeah and then I mean, obviously the obviously the bubble burst but they you know they wrote it out now cues had you know not too long ago they were in all-time high hmm. so they stay i mean they, they had this they stayed the course Mm. They've done quite well. Mm. Well, uh, they're in top. They're in top ten of the biggest ETFs in the world. Yeah, just looking back, I know that like there's something like an index fund bubble or something to that effect. Like so many people don't want to like research individual stocks, so they use like ETFs as a way to get into like these index funds and not have to pay the mutual fund fees and stuff. So it ends up being actually very nice, like in the sense that ETFs have like 
changed the market significantly as a result. Do you see anything like that for Bitcoin? The side, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what, what's going on now is the active ETFs are starting to really take off. Mm. So we're seeing a lot more. Once that ETF rule changed, uh, that 19, things came easier to get into the market. And we're seeing more and more people coming in, well, not passive, but active ETFs. Mm. So changing a little, di- you know, away from what you're just talking about, the index bubble, much, much more. I mean, just, I mean, I, it's countless of these new active that are coming in. Mm. Big change. A big change because you were right. It was passive for, for many, many years. Mm. Okay. And accumulated the most money, right? Because they're basically 401ks or pension funds or retirement mm. funds or just massive, massive Vanguard and BlackRock and State Street, the massive amount of money they've taken in. This is staggering. It'll be really interesting to watch because somehow you have Bitcoin, the asset, and the futures are cash settled and ETFs are based on the future. So somehow like Bitcoin hasn't entered the equation, at least on a custody level, yet it's going, it looks like it's going to have this huge effect, which is a little bit mind boggling to me, like how much, how many layers of abstraction need to exist in order for it to become an ETF. Well, I mean, having it in cash, Jimmy, I think is kind of mm. like also on another level that, that people feel a little more comfortable with. And I think mm. the firms are, are still are comfortable with the cash aspect of it. Mm. Like I said, we're, we're definitely, you know, walk. we're just walking here. All right. We'll see how mm. like it all all turns out. I mean, it'd be, be kind of interesting to have this conversation a year from now mm. to see what, what happened, where things went and... Mm. And how you know how you think also like we were talking before about the pa- you know the passive but with the active now and and the the ability to buy fractional shares and we saw that whole you know that meme mm. insanity in the summer a lot of people can are buying individual stocks now mm. that they never did before like smaller you know smaller acts you know because all, all of them are like astronomically expensive so. They're using the fractional shares, so we're seeing we're seeing some lots of different things going on. Obviously, the Robin Hood with all the Bitcoin that they were they were using. So it's just there's some interesting stuff going on. Mm. Well, I guess we'll be seeing. And oh yeah, watching. we got we got a front row seat, me and you, on this one, right? So <laughs> you can, uh, like I said, we'll come back in a year and see what happened or didn't happen, or you know what. Other thing, because there's always something else will come out of this. What came out of this was a different way of doing things, and mm. different strategies that that weren't apparent initially. Well, they never stay the same. They every six months, the ETFs morph into something different. They're always like <laughs> some other thing to them, some other element to them, or some other. There was you know some other strategy that becomes the flavor of the day, and they use the ETF to exercise that strategy. So we'll see. We'll see. Sounds like there's a lot of creativity. But I appreciate the questions. On. You asked some some questions, and I hope I answered them as good as uh, as possible. <laughs> well, that's very enlightening. Where can people find you? Where can people contact you? Well, I think the best way would be is to go through the Valkyrie 
number i mean because we're gonna have like an 800 number set up once when everything gets 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 up and trading i think that'd be the best way to get me Mm -hmm. but offline i could give you my phone i can give you my contact information okay well thanks for being on yeah that was great Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this podcast. I'm an advisor for the company. I know the team well, and I'm excited for what they are building. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at unchained.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. John can be found at valkyrieinvest.com. Until next time, fiat, the lender asked.